Malo ni halo oketa. I'm Tali Anderson. Welcome to Champions of the Pacific, a look at the stories behind the wins and losses. Kia orana, I'm Korovakauta. We continue to celebrate in Talanoa everything that makes the Pacifica athlete tick. Today we discuss how important mental health is for our sports people. We hear from a legend of PNG Rugby League. And I check out the colour and big hits from Auckland's Kilikiti community. Our communities love to celebrate the success of our Pacifica athletes, but there are positives and negatives associated with professional sport. There's a lot of focus on young players to get bigger, faster and stronger to make it. However, there is less discussions around how to cope with the mental challenges. Auckland University's Dr Caleb Masters has just completed a PhD dedicated to researching the mental health and well-being of young Pacific athletes. Dr Masters joins us now with former Kiwi Fern and New Zealand Warriors women's player Aneta Nu'u'au-Sala, who's been off the footy field with concussion issues for the last three years. Caleb, what issues do our Pacifica athletes specifically deal with? A sports career is seen as a golden ticket for a lot of families, for a lot of people in our community. We know some of the stereotypes, you know, around our young men in particular, seen as natural athletes or booked for sports. Um, so there's a lot of, I guess, encouragement to chase this career. One former Kiwis player I, I spoke to, we need to really manage our expectations as community people, as family members, um, for our young men, um, how they view sports as the golden ticket, the be or end all. But really, like he said, um, and this was, a, he had a long career. He said pretty much, you know, it's a good platform for life, but the pressures on our young men that will solve all our family problems, our financial problems, um, it's really unrealistic. And so we have to manage those expectations. And yeah, it really does take a toll when you're seen on TV playing maybe Mighty Ten Cup. Contracts are not six figures even for a lot of these young boys. So the families might think so. They might have new pressures to give back, not just here, but over in the islands. And, and it can take its toll. You know, as young people, we're not allowed to really tell our parents or, or our elders no. And so it's a big struggle for a lot of these boys to what their expectations are and their family's expectations are versus the reality of a career in elite sports. Often it doesn't match and that can cause a lot of anxiety and stress. Uh, Nita, you've been off the field with concussion issues for the last three years. How has that impacted you mentally? Yeah, there's been some drastic changes to my everyday lifestyle. Just being in and out of concussion clinics three times a week. Um, And then it was pretty much a slow burn um, not being able to do what I normally do, like just normal training. I couldn't run for a while. I don't know, hang out with friends and, you know, go. It was more just um, taking care of my head and um, and just thinking, you know, for 10 years straight and then going from that to not being able to play at all. So just go and do something that you, you would usually do. It took a toll on me um, mentally. I did go into depression for a year, but, you know, with the right support system, yeah. It, it makes it that much easier. So, Neta, how did you get through it? I mean, physically, there's obviously stuff that you have to go through, um, the protocols and that sort of thing, but how did you get through the dark times mentally? I guess as long as you've got a good support system around you, it makes it easier, but um, it was a constant battle with just myself, just thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm not used to this, like just coming home from work and just not being able to do what I have been doing for the last 10, 11 years, going to training. And so I just had to get myself out of that mindset. It was really hard just trying to adapt to my new normal for about a year, over a year. I just kept thinking, you know, if this is how it has to be, then so be it. But I just kept surrounding myself with the right people and just just trusting the process, really. Caleb, have you seen a shift or has there been a shift in you know, understanding what athletes need when it comes to their mental health? Yeah, so there's been a huge shift in uh, awareness 
of even what mental health is, how important it is for not just, I guess, when you're in your darkest times, but also when you're facing small stresses. So knowing that it's not just something that comes right at the end of your journey of depression or something, but actually we need to support our young ones when they are coming into the game, when they're going into the professional or the elite environment. Um, so the awareness is definitely rising. Um, fellas like Akira Ioane, uh, Ari Savia, like these players who a lot of our community look up to are speaking on these issues a bit more. Um, and that has a huge impact. Um, organizational level, New Zealand Rugby, New Zealand Rugby League, these organizations are really also seeing where we can put uh, our, our initiatives into place now. So the awareness has, has grown a lot, but um, it's also for a lot of societal factors that away from sports in our Pacific communities and our culture, there's still uh, a lot of challenges that we face in the community when it comes to mental health and the stigma around asking for help or wanting to ask someone for support. It can be a huge um, barrier for a lot of our young men and young girls to go go to their family or go to, to these support systems. So um, that is still a challenge that that is getting better, but I think we can still do more. Because, you know, how Caleb was talking about um, talking about how it's hard for people to ask for help. Neta, was it hard for you to admit, okay, you were struggling mentally and to talk to your family about that? Oh, yeah, big time. Because I knew, like, oh, just like Caleb said, you know, there was pressure coming from family and stuff, and um, I just felt that pressure. Just, you know, just coming through the ranks, like, and thinking, oh, my gosh, like, I'm here now. My family see me as this this international representative player. So I kind of didn't want to fall back on them just because I knew what was coming. I knew they would say, take that break, you know. It's all part of the plan. Just trust the process. But in my head, in my mind, I thought, no, I worked so hard to get here. I didn't want to take a break. Yeah, it did make me scared to ask you know, for help, because I, I just knew what was coming. Just having gone through that, um, for other players or, you know, young ones coming through, what advice would you give to them if they were struggling with some issues? Get it sorted as soon as possible. You don't want to go through years of thinking, you know, I've taken so many steps, took so many sacrifices to get here at that point that you're at now. And then just to suffer the consequences, you know, in the long run, it's really not worth it. Your health really does come first. And I had to learn it the hard way. If you feel something's not right, just get it checked. You know, it's better to be safe than sorry. Because at the end of the day, you're not just hurting yourself, you're hurting your loved ones. Awesome message. And through the years of research you've had too, Caleb, what is the thread or the message that you'd like uh, people to hear when it comes to dealing with mental health? Pretty much, yeah, speaking, continuing what Neda said, um, speaking out about it, but also, like you said, the service that a lot of our young people want to give back to their family, you know, the and, and you want to give back to your family so much, and that's something that is still being looked at a bit more from the organisations they always see. The family wants this, 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 but also, like Neda said, these young players and athletes themselves, they have so such a strong desire to give back to their family, to serve their family, make their family proud, I think. For our family, on the family level, really making sure our young ones know, you know, whether you make the All Blacks or whether you just make first 15 or don't even make a rep team, um, you're still loved, you're still got a got a place in, in the family, you're still making your parents proud. And so um, just echoing yeah, Nip's message really that, you know, a, a young person out there, don't be scared to uh, ask for help. But also family when you maybe, or even mates, when you see your mate, um, acting different don't be scared to just have a conversation don't be overboard but at the same time just letting them know you you love them you support them you're there for them Auckland University's Dr Caleb Masters and former Kiwi Fern and New Zealand Warriors women's player Aneta Nuwasala talking through the important issues of mental health 
It's great to see the candor there from from both uh, panelists. I, I guess the good take I take from it anyway, Tale, is that um, it appears that awareness is increasing and there's improvement in this area. Absolutely. The county's Manukau Kalikiti Association and Tawitua are using sport and church connections to keep the Samoan culture alive. The Church of Origin Tournament, a competition between Samoan churches, lit up earlier this year. Lead member of the organising committee, Tanua'i Rupena Michael Tanua'i, is hopeful that community engagement through the sport will help strengthen cultural practices for generations to come. Yeah, it's just an opportunity for us just to find ways to keep our beautiful culture alive through the sport. Um, a lot of our generation um, have sort of moved away from the traditional churches for whatever reasons. A lot of us are still involved. However, we thought that this would be a great opportunity for our great players that are playing in different tournaments to be able to um, inspire the younger ones. And um, not only just inspire the younger ones, but connect them back to their churches and give back to their traditional churches. And to also use the Samoan culture in everything that we do, the way we walk, to Savali, Tautala, the way we do things as Samoans, uh, and to use it in the sports, and just to make sure that we carry it on, because this is stuff that our parents have passed down to us, and a great opportunity for us to run um, and just to have fun at the same time. Uh, just talking about those traditions, what are some of those traditions? I have seen uh, the teams come in front of the tents. Can you explain what's going on there? So that's what we call the tapoinga, which is very important, sacred part of our lives, not just in sport, but every time our players go and take the field, it's like our ancestors back in the days would go to battle, go to war. Um, the elders would stay home and pray for them and, and to talo. And so once they go out into the battlefield, when they return home, you know, our, our elders back then would be like, you know, you know, thank God that they've made it back home safely. And same thing was here in Kirikiki. Before we take the field, we get the blessings from our elders, from the faithful elders, from the parents. We go out on the field, battle, then we come back off and then we thank them for their tapoinga. They give us advice, they give us fotuangas, you know, they give us their blessings to go out there and represent them. And, and the Church of Origin, as Bartele had mentioned earlier today, the important thing about this is fellowship, but getting the blessings from our parents as well to be able to go out and not only in, in the sport but in life in general. So it's pretty important to keep that going. Is that something you'd hope to see um, your children and their children to carry on? Most definitely. And I think the thing we're trying to do with Simca and Tawi Tu and the programs that are part of this is how do we keep the culture alive for the generations to come? If you look at back in 1929 when our ancestors marched in, in Apia and Samoa to fight for our independence, it wasn't even just for their generation, it was for the generations to come. And so we believe that because we're first-born generations here in New Zealand, if we don't make our move now, it could easily die with the next two, three generations to come. So it's our responsibility to keep it alive and no better way to do it than pure beautiful game of Kirikiki. How many people are competing? How many families or how many people do you think are actually coming here today? Yeah, it's awesome. So we've got 12 teams. So we've got the uh, eight men's teams uh, from seven different denominations. So Efakasa is the only church they have two teams because they're such a big church. And then we have four women's teams. But just to see all the parents here on the bank in the whale tapuais and the in the whale ears and the tents, to see the kapoinga, the faithful owls, the ministers, the parents, it's it's beautiful for us. That was Tanawai Rupena Michael Tanawai. Malo, malo. Well, uh, good to see uh, those guys getting out there on the pitch. I've seen some Kalikiti tournaments before and they're highly competitive, shall we say, but good to see that there's a, a cause behind this one. Yeah, the, the big thing was to give back uh, to the community, so it was really good to see them um, partnered up with Vinnie's the night before and they prepared a thousand food boxes for the homeless, for families in need and those struggling uh, with COVID. So, yes, yeah, there's some really great work being done both on and off the field from those guys, so big shout-out to them. Yes, indeed.
Now, Adrian Lamb is rugby league royalty in Papua New Guinea. With a mother from Liverpool and a Chinese Papua New Guinean father, the Papua New Guinea international Lamb was born in Rabaul before his family moved to Queensland when he was just seven. Despite starting his rugby league career in Australia, Lamb told our producer Vinnie Wiley he turned down the chance to represent the Kangaroos. In 1994, the year before I got selected for Queensland, Papua New Guinea approached me to play in a test match against France. And I just thought it was an opportunity that I couldn't pass up and thinking that I may never play for Queensland or Australia. So I made my debut the year before, but then through the Super League war, they needed players to play that were that had qualified for Queensland. So purely by opportunity, I got that call up and the way that that all unfolded was just an, an absolute sort of a dream come true really because of the Super League war and uh, I played that test and then the year later with the Super League war the, the 95 Origin Series was selected and why we went. And now almost 30 years later you find your mm. son Lachlan sort of following in those footsteps. I got goosebumps you're talking about it really because watching him grow up has been he's been in the Roosters program you know since he was nine years old now and Lachlan's since played Queensland Origin 16s, 18s and 20s now. So in the 18s, he ran out with the number seven on his back. And it was just so surreal at Lang Park before Origin 2 about four years ago, I think. So that was a real magical moment. And, and now he's forging his own way with, with the Roosters. You played with Marcus Byers, Stanley Guinea, obviously for the Kumuls. Uh, you've obviously <clears> coached the Kumuls. Um, what was your experience of that? being a part of that team and that expectation and, you know, that, that, that love of country up there and love of rugby league. When, when I made the, the 95 start of origin team, we, we'd won that series with a team that was not meant to. And at the end of that series, I got a phone call, not many people know, but I got a phone call from Bob Fulton who asked me if I'd make myself eligible for Australia, though I'd played one test for Papua New Guinea two years before. And I, I asked him to have 48 hours and I went and spoke to my family about it, you know, my mother and father and, and my manager, and at the time, I just felt really loyal that Papua New Guinea gave me an opportunity. And because it was the Super League War, I knew that, you know, the Alan Langers w- would come back to the team eventually for the Kangaroos. So I ended up ringing Bozo two days later and just said to him, look, I, I, I want to make a decision to stay loyal to Papua New Guinea. Because he said to me at the time that I'd, I'd, I'd be in the Australian team. And I don't regret one day of that. You know, it would have been nice as a, as a kid, I think. I dreamt of playing wearing the Australian jersey. But when I'd pull that Papua New Guinean one on, it just made me realise I felt that they needed me more than what Australia would have. I've had a really good time up there of helping the country develop in certain ways, you know, helping initiate the Queensland Cup team that won the competition a couple of years ago, set up development offices throughout the country. So I've done a lot up there where I feel like I've done my part now. And I think the 2000 World Cup was where I was captain. It was the first Papua New Guinean sporting team to make a quarterfinal of any World Cup. So that was quite an honour. I remember coming back to Papua New Guinea to like a ticket tech parade where there was thousands and thousands of people on the road, proud of that team and the country, obviously. So um, then was fortunate enough to coach it and just w- what I've learnt and the, just the improvement that they've had up there as a country, you know, it's it's certainly on track to bigger and better things. Are you, are you surprised that there aren't more Papua New Guineans in first grade? Is it that yep. adjustment? Is it that culture shock that seems to be a barrier or what do you put it down to? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, you know it's if you've ever experienced watching a game up in Papua New Guinea rugby league, there's there's nothing, there's no better sporting event in the world when you have Australia playing Papua New Guinea in in the Highlands. So you can see how passionate everyone is, and as you mentioned earlier, rugby league in Papua New Guinea is the only country in the world where rugby league is its national sport. So there's rugby league being played everywhere, and there's talent everywhere. Those players just need an opportunity and and to get in the system here and 
and to learn and uh, you know like I guess like as many of the the Maoris or New Zealanders or Fijians or, or Pacific Island countries now that are coming through so there's no different in Papua New Guinea I, I think their time will come um, it's just a matter of time. PNG Kubo legend Adrian Lamb what a champion. If you want to hear more champions of the Pacific you can find us online at rnz.co.nz and click on the Pacific tab or we broadcast into the region on RNZ Pacific and RNZ National or you can download us from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favourite podcasts. Catch us next week. Until then, look at you next time. Tofa soy fua.